So we are in the middle of a discussion of the second principle to keep in mind as you're going through the process of hermeneutics. The first principle was being aware of the priority of the original languages. If you're going to understand the meaning of the text, you got to get back to the original because something is always lost in translation. The second principle is the accommodation of revelation. God reveals his truth to us in ways that we can understand. And that involves uh, literary things like uh, uh, I want to say rhetorical modes. That's not right. <laughs> different genres, different kinds of literature. The poetry, the law, the narrative, history. Each one of those has to be approached differently because they work by different rules. So if you're going to understand them correctly, you need to understand how they work. <clears throat> we also looked at uh, things like uh, idioms, um, literary devices. Uh, we're in the middle of looking at literary devices. We looked at parallelism. Parallelism can help you understand what's uh, what the writer's trying to say because you can see how the words line up, the things that balance each other out, and that that can help uh, define things. We looked at chiasms, uh, the way the writer arranges the like the you know the X pattern to emphasize different things. <clears throat> We started last time looking at a couple more literary devices. One is the uh, structure of a paragraph, how the, the writer arranges the material in the paragraph to illustrate his point. And the other one is, is the use of synonyms and uh, things like that. So we're in the uh, a paragraph in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you haven't turned there yet, you might want to get there. <clears throat> we are looking at this from the viewpoint of a particular interpretation based on this passage. And we have seen four problems with it so far. We have three more to go. That's the idea. Excuse me. <clears throat> That's the idea that the gift of tongues would end when the New Testament was completed. That idea is taken from verse 8 and 10 of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, verse 8 says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. 9 says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And so the people who claim that the gift of tongues ended with the completion of the New Testament make that claim in order to avoid the excesses of the charismatic movement because they're emphasizing tongues over everything else. And so the people say, Well, if tongues isn't for today, then the charismatics are obviously wrong. And so they build that argument based on this passage that tongues stopped. Um, we are going through the process of seeing why that 
interpretation doesn't really work. As I said, we've seen four problems with it so far, and we'll, we'll finish those up tonight. <clears throat> uh, just for review, they base that argument on two things. When it says tongues will cease, the word cease there is in the middle voice, and the middle voice usually emphasizes something happening all by itself without any in outside influence. So prophecy is going to be done away. Knowledge is going to be done away. Those are in the active voice, so something from outside is going to cause them to stop. But tongues will cease. That's middle voice, meaning all by itself. Like as though the gift of tongues had a built-in cutoff switch. And at a certain point of time, that switch will flip and tongues will be over. And they associate that with the end of the New Testament. And for that, they go to verse 10, where it says, When the perfect comes. The word perfect, again, means to be complete, to be finished, to reach the goal. Um, <clears throat> so they emphasize the idea of completeness and reference it to the New Testament. So when the New Testament was completed, the gifts of tongues stopped. We've seen difficulties with that. So we will review those first four quickly and then get into the last three where we get into the uh, literary devices, finally. So the first uh, problem with the idea that tongues, the gift of tongues ended when the New Testament was completed deals with the function of tongues. These people say that tongues was a sign to verify the authenticity of the gospel message. And so when the gospel message was completed in the New Testament, then there wasn't any need for the sign anymore. So it just stopped functioning. The problem with that is, even though Paul calls tongues a sign in chapter 14, it was not a sign to authenticate the, the apostolic message. It was a sign to unbelieving Jews that God wasn't speaking to them anymore. <laughs> Isaiah, you know, he quotes Isaiah. I, he says through Isaiah, you know, I've tried to talk to you <laughs> a lot, <laughs> but you're not listening. Therefore, I'm not talking to you anymore. From now on, you're going to hear a language that you don't understand. It's a, a prefiguring of the Babylonian captivity. As God was trying to say, straighten up or you're in trouble. It goes back to Deuteronomy. <clears throat> they wouldn't straighten up, so he says, okay, we'll do it the hard way. So you're going to uh, hear a foreign language from now on, not a language that you understand. So it was a sign of judgment. It wasn't a sign to verify the um, authenticity of the apostolic message. It did uh, authenticate salvation, as we saw in Acts 8, 10, and 19. Every time a new people group was introduced to the gospel and they believed it, the church leaders would come and lay hands on those people. They would receive the Spirit and, as a result, speak in tongues as evidence that this was the same salvation God gave at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first came. Um, so it did do that, okay? but it never verified the authenticity of the message. Plus, even though tongues was a sign, it, it, uh, that's not the only function. Again, as Paul says in chapter 14, verse 26, specifically, all the gifts were for edification, even tongues. Uh, 
the fact that tongues were also a sign is an added function. It was not the only function. Um, so to say that tongues ended because it wasn't necessary anymore is to leave out some of the functions of the gift. <clears throat> the context of the passage also argues against this idea that tongues stopped when the New Testament was completed. Paul is trying to address the improper attitude of the Corinthians towards spiritual gifts. They were emphasizing some gifts and kind of making it an, uh, an issue of pride, like my gift is better than yours. <laughs> and Paul says, no. He, gets, he tells them, first of all, in chapter 12, God gave you the gift. You have nothing to be proud about. You, know, you didn't do anything. You didn't develop the gift. You know, God gave it to you. Second, he gave it to you for, to use for somebody else's benefit, not your own. You're not comparing here. You're serving one another. In chapter 13, he gets into the motivation for the gift, and that's through love. Love is focused outward, not inward. In chapter 14, he explains, well, it's basically application of 12 and 13. As we mentioned last week, you can summarize chapter 12 with the word what, because he indicates what the gifts are and what they're for. And you can summarize chapter 12 with why. Why do you use the gifts? To help each other. To it's, it's out of love. It's a motivation. In chapter 14, you can summarize with how, because he gives the principles of exercising the gifts. <clears throat> so he's not talking here at all about the ending of the gifts. He mentions it as a sub-point. That's not his main point. He's dealing with the improper attitude. And if you want an argument against the charismatics and their excesses, all three chapters, <laughs> you know, Paul's argument against the Corinthians' attitude also applies to the charismatics. They have the same attitude. So you don't need some special uh, passage here that says tongues is over. To, to prove that the charismatics are way off base. The whole argument applies. Uh, the third problem here is that questionable middle voice. It does say that tongues will cease. Cease is in the middle voice, but as we saw, this word is always, except for one case, used in the middle voice. It's just whenever people use this word, they just use the middle voice. Why do they do that? I don't know. <laughs> Things like that happen. As we discussed last time, languages are fluid. People just don't always obey the rules. Okay? So the fact that ceases in the middle voice is kind of inconsequential. That's just the voice people used with this word, with this particular verb. So it loses its emphasis. Um, all gifts were temporary, would end, not just the gift of tongues, not just the sign gifts. So to emphasize that one over all the rest also kind of takes this out of, out of context. Uh, the fourth problem is the definition of the word perfect in verse 10. When the perfect comes, they say that this was the end of uh, spiritual gifts when the New Testament was completed. But the word perfect in this context is defined in a much broader sense, verse 12 just defines what happens when the perfect comes. It says, now we see in a mirror dimly, we don't have a clear view of spiritual things, but then 
when the perfect comes, we'll see face to face. We'll have a clear view of things. Now, he says, we know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. So we did not gain full spiritual insight and full spiritual knowledge when the New Testament was completed. Those haven't happened yet. So the perfect can't really refer to the completion of the New Testament. Plus, the completion here in verse 10, the perfect really refers to people. As Paul says, now we see things kind of fuzzily. <laughs> it's not clear. But then we'll see things clear. Okay. Now our knowledge is just partial, but then we will know completely. Again, that didn't happen at the end of the New Testament or the completion of the New Testament, and it refers to us, what's going to happen to us. The perfect is our maturity, our spiritual maturity. It doesn't relate to the completion of the text. <clears throat> and we'll see this more as we get into the next three uh, uh, points. So that's kind of where we left off last week. Four difficulties with the idea that the gift of tongues ended with the completion of the New Testament. Three more to go. So any questions about any of those so far? Okay. So the fifth difficulty with the idea that the gift of tongues ended with the completion of the New Testament deals with the structure of the paragraph. And we're getting now into the literary device. The literary devices have to do with how the words are arranged, not so much what they mean, but how they look on the page. Um, <clears throat> I have a chart for you um, to illustrate this. Basically, Paul sets up some contrasts in this paragraph, verses 8 through 12. And when you see... When you get a visual image, a mental image of those contrasts, it becomes very clear what he's talking about when he talks about the partial and the perfect. Okay. Uh, so let me hand out that chart, and uh, then we'll go over it. So down the left there, you see the different verses in this paragraph, and then we have the two conditions, the now that he mentions, which is our earthly state, and the perfect, which is our heavenly state, as we will see when we go through this. Okay? It's not the end of the New Testament or the completion of the New Testament. Verses 8 through 10, he mentions the partial. He says in verse 8, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. <clears throat> so 
So the partial obviously is incomplete. But the perfect is going to be complete because the partial, what we know now, is going to disappear and we'll be left with what is finished. The incomplete will be completed, basically. <clears throat> he gives us the analogy in verse 11 of childhood. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. The word did away there is the same word in verse 8, where it talks about being done away with. <clears throat> Notice the parallels. We talked about parallelism before. We have parallelism here too. Childhood is basically immaturity. And in the structure of the paragraph, this is parallel with, this, with our current state. Now things are partial. Okay? That's our spiritual immaturity. We're not finished yet. This is why we need spiritual gifts. We need spiritual gifts for mutual edification, for maturity, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. Uh, we, each, each member of the body exercises his spiritual gifts so that the whole body can grow up into a mature person. We need that now because we are in an incomplete state. We need spiritual gifts in order to grow. But when the perfect comes, we will be finished. We will be mature. We won't need spiritual gifts anymore. As he says there, when I became a man, I did away with childish things. When we get to heaven, we're not going to need the gifts anymore. We will be mature. So the maturity doesn't relate to the finishing of the New Testament. It refers to our spiritual maturity. Right now, we need spiritual gifts. When we get to heaven, we won't need them. In verse 12, we've looked at already, says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, so things are indistinct. We have a limited perspective now in our current situation. But then, when the perfect comes, when we get to heaven, uh, we'll see face to face. Everything's going to be clear. We're going to have an unlimited perspective. You ever notice when you look up at the stars, they seem to twinkle? You know why they do that? Because there's dirt in the air. <laughs> Atmospheric impurities. When you get out to space, the stars don't twinkle. <laughs> there's nothing to get in the way. Same thing here. Here on Earth, we look at spiritual things and stuff gets in the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Or as one scientist put it, scintillate, scintillate, diminutive, uh, what's the word? Scintillate, of course, means to twinkle. Diminutive heavenly spheroid. Yeah. <laughs> you get out to space, you don't have all that interference, so things are clear. So here... We don't see things, spiritual things, clearly because there are too many interferences. But when we get to heaven, those interferences aren't going to exist. Okay? Things will be clear. And he finishes up verse 12. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Imagine having spiritual knowledge that is as complete as God's knowledge of you. 
good question. That anticipates what we're going to discuss in a couple more slides, if we had slides. No, I don't. Well, I can answer that. Their knowledge of God was different from our knowledge of God. <laughs> they knew God on that one-to-one, face-to-face level because they um, they had no sin to interfere. Okay, we have an interference. <laughs> also, because of progressive revelation, which is the next principle in this series, uh, we know, actually we know more about God than they did because God has revealed himself more and more over the millennia. More analytical knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so our knowledge is only partial now in our current situation, but when the perfect comes, when we get to heaven, our spiritual understanding will be complete. So the way he structures this paragraph, verses 8 through 12, we see the parallels, we see the contrast, and that helps us to understand what he's talking about when he talks about the partial and the complete. So the people who say that the partial is the gift of tongues and the complete is a completion of the New Testament haven't read the paragraph. <laughs> they haven't really looked at it. They're putting things in there that are not in there initially. Okay. Yeah. So in, instead of getting the meaning out of the text, they're reading a meaning into the text because it suits their purposes. Yeah. So that's one of these literary devices. The way this paragraph is structured and the way it's structured helps you to get the point. Which means, as you are studying Scripture, actually this refers to any text that you're studying, but we're talking about interpreting Scripture, um, you need to put on a different pair of glasses. Instead of looking at what the words say and trying to figure out the meaning of the words and the sentences, You've got to look at how they're structured, how the, the words are arranged on the page, because that's another level of communication okay, that, that enhances the meaning of the words. Very foolish, uh, about these verses don't teach about the ceasing of tongues. Tell us when they cease Well, that's next. <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> good segue, yeah. No, well, they are misinterpreting. They are taking the book of Acts as the standard for everyday practice. But Acts was transitional. You know, things were happening there because it was the first time those things happened. They weren't intended to be uh, the standard for everything else. Uh, why they want to, you know, that 
I suppose it's because, you know, you speak in tongues. They define tongues as a heavenly language, not a real earthly language, which, that you know, Scripture says it's an earthly language. It's, it's not some heavenly stuff. Yeah. Right, right. So that I think to them it seems more spiritual. If you can speak in this spiritual language, then you're closer to God. No, it's not scriptural. I don't think the charismatics do. But Paul's point is, if you speak in a language, a different language, you better be sure someone's there to interpret it. Well, maybe not. I mean, even in, in chapter 14 here, when Paul gets into how to use tongues for edification, he says, if you can't interpret the tongue, then go ahead. Um, or if somebody else is there that can interpret the tongue, then go ahead. So uh, apparently, if, if a person has both of the gifts, the gift to speak in the language and the gift to interpret the language, then he would understand what he's saying. But it's very possible, based on the way Paul talks about it, that they could speak in a different language and not really understand what they're saying, but somebody else in the congregation has the gift of interpretation to clarify. So the person can, the person who uses the language, oh, is that what I said? <laughs> Part of it, I think, has to do with the understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. They do not believe that you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Right. It's the second work of grace. Mm -hmm. And you, are, you don't have that second work of grace unless you speak in tongues. Yeah. And again, they get that from Acts where the, you know, the apostles came and laid hands on people. They received the Spirit and spoke in tongues. I'm sure that that probably has happened. I remember, you know, uh, what's his name? Jimmy Swagger used to be on television here years ago. I used to watch it, well, not every Sunday, but occasionally. And one Sunday, it was, on the one hand, it was hilarious. On the other hand, it was kind of tragic. He was up there preaching away, and all of a sudden, he just started this whole string of nonsense syllables, you know. And everybody's, oh, praise God, you know, he's speaking in tongues. And then a few minutes later, he's up there preaching away, and some guy in the congregation stands up and does the same thing. And he was not happy. <laughs> he wasn't praising God that the Spirit's speaking through this guy because it interrupted his sermon. <laughs> you could tell he was just, mm. <laughs> he was not happy. Yeah. So it seems to be a little superficial, okay? especially as we discussed last time, they teach you how to speak in tongues. If this is a spiritual gift, then it happens because the Spirit gives you the ability. It's not something you have to learn. Yeah. 
we have spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. Each spiritual gift, as you said, in heaven, we won't need spiritual gifts. Right. We learn everything here. It's a matter of our completion and adult living. And whenever we die, do we, we think that's that? Right. Spiritual gifts are for our edification now in our limited situation. When we get to heaven, however we get there and whenever we get there, <laughs> we will be mature. You know, we're not going to need gifts anymore. No. Yeah. So do you think that we'll just automatically know or don't we get to go to <laughs> no, but the implication I get from this text and other texts about spiritual gifts and heaven and stuff is when you get there, you're complete. It's not a process anymore. Well, fun, how do you define fun, you know? <laughs> and who defines fun? Exactly. Yeah. So that, you know, those kinds of details about heaven haven't really been revealed. <laughs> so, you know, just it's kind of like, well, wait and see. It kind of reminds me, you, you, it's a cliche, you know, that family goes on a trip and the kids are always, are we there yet? Are we? My brother went with one of his friends, and his friend's father, they're going camping or something. They had an old 49 Ford pickup with a hood ornament, you know, big round hood out there, beautiful old truck. And so the kids were saying, are we there yet? Are... And this, the guy got tired of it. So my brother's friend's father said, you see that hood ornament out there? And they look, yeah. He says, when that gets there, we'll be there. <laughs> 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 so kind of <laughs> end of that argument same thing with heaven you know? <laughs> when we get there we'll get there <laughs> and then we'll know <laughs> what you know what's going to happen but up to up until then it's it's we have other things to worry about you know? curiosity is a dangerous thing <clears throat> it can be so um the, this bring what your question brings us to the sixth difficulty with the idea that that tongues ended when the New Testament was completed, uh, and that's that the description of the gifts that end when the perfect comes don't include tongues. Notice verse nine: For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Well, what is the partial according to verse 9? It's knowledge and prophecy. What happened to tongues? <laughs> so if these people are right, that spiritual gifts, some gifts ended when the New Testament was completed, and the perfect is the completion of the New Testament, then the gifts that should have ended were knowledge and prophecy, and tongues should have continued. Just the opposite of what they claim. Did uh, knowledge and prophecy end with the completion of the New Testament? No. <laughs> They're still valid gifts. They had to do with edification. 
so they didn't end. So they kind of shoot themselves in the foot because what Scripture says ended when the perfect came is not what they say ended when the New Testament was complete. Um, all of the gifts will end when the perfect comes. And the perfect, again, as based on the structure of the paragraph, clearly has to be the eternal state. It's in contrast to our current state. The contrast isn't between when some gifts will end and when other gifts will end. The contrast is between our current immature state and our future mature state. That's Paul's point. That's why he says in chapter 13, your focus is off. Instead of focusing on the gift you have, you ought to focus on using the gift out of love for other people to benefit them spiritually. Because... Verse 8, love never fails. That is eternal. The gifts, he says, will disappear, all of them. And as we've seen, the fact that tongues will cease is in the middle voice there is not really significant. And this brings us to the last point, the seventh difficulty, and that's this last literary device, the way he has structured this list. He has three items in the list. Since... The middle voice for cease doesn't really have the emphasis of the middle voice that is something happening all by itself or on its own, simply because this word is always used in the middle voice. <clears throat> what he's doing here is just using synonyms. The word do away for prophecy and knowledge is that word katargeo, which means to, to nullify, to cancel out, to make ineffective or to do away with in one way or another. <clears throat> and the word cease simply means to stop. So they're all talking about the same thing. They're synonyms. So he has kind of a balance in the list. He starts with a word that's in the active voice and he finishes the list, the third item in that same word in the active voice. And then he has a different word that means the same thing for the middle item. So it's just the way he structured the list. And another issue I think fits, and I can't say with 100% certainty that this is what Paul had in mind. I wasn't there when he wrote this. I didn't talk to him about it, so I can't say. But it makes sense to me. Maybe it's my literary training, but it makes sense to me. I think it's just possible that Paul used that word pa'uomai for tongues, tongues will cease, because it's always used in the middle voice. And guess what? It's the middle item in the list. So he used the verb in the middle voice because it's the middle of the list. Kind of a pun, <laughs> a play on words. Paul does this in his writing. He, you know, he has plays on words. Again, I can't say for sure that that's what he had in mind. But it fits <laughs> the way I say it, okay? So it's in the middle voice simply because it's the middle item in the list. <clears throat> so he has synonyms here. We have, he has a balance to the list. Um, there's another literary device that I think helps to clarify the point. So the point 
again, overall is the Corinthians should not be focused on which gift they have, but rather on using the gift for other people's benefit out of love, because love is what lasts and the gifts don't. None of the gifts last. They all are temporary. They fit our temporary situation here because we need them now for spiritual growth. When we get to heaven, when we are perfected, completed, matured, we won't need them anymore. They'll be redundant because they are to produce maturity. When we get to heaven, we will be mature. We don't need the means for maturity when we have the maturity. So all the gifts will end when the perfect comes, and the perfect is our spiritual maturity when we get to heaven. So the idea that tongues, that specific gift, would end when the New Testament was completed simply doesn't fit. And we can see that not only based on what he says here, word by word, but also in the way he structures things. Any uh, other comments, observations about any of that? Well, that's a good point, okay. You know, I, I mean, incapacitation, <laughs> physical incapacitation. When I was younger, I could sing. Mm-hmm. The older I get, I Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, spiritual gifts, uh, in a sense, never end. Once you've got the gift, you've got the gift. Now, your effectiveness in using the gift can fluctuate, you know, for different reasons. Unfortunately, I think the main reason people lose the ability to use their gift effectively is because they use it improperly. (laughs) They use it for the wrong reasons. Instead of using it out of love to help each other grow, they use it for whatever, you know, maybe because they want to get that feeling of, you know, that was nice, I like that. (laughs) <laughs> as soon as you start doing that, you you know it's over. As Paul says, the first first three verses of chapter thirteen, you know you can have the best gifts in the world or the universe, but if you don't use them out of love, it's pointless. But we all do mature. That's not really the right word. Age, okay, and unfortunately, infirmities come along with age, mental and physical. So it's very possible that one's ability to use his gift effectively can be impacted by the aging process. I mean, you know, the older you get, the less physical endurance you have. I don't know, you may have read biographies of, of missionaries and preachers in the past. I forget who it was. David Brainerd, back there in the 1800s, one of those guys... You know, they would preach like 50 sermons a week you know, and travel on horseback, you know. <laughs> and they just never stopped. And you think, how could you do that? <clears throat> well, eventually they died. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, 
maybe from overwork, <laughs> but they didn't seem to slow down. That's true. That's true. In that sense, it gets easier the older you get because you have that much more experience to draw from. Plus practice. (laughs) The more you teach, I want to say the better you get at it. That's assuming that you do it right (laughs) all along. (laughs) You know, that, that saying, you know, practice makes perfect, that's not true. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you if you practice a mistake, you get better at that mistake. <laughs> but you're not going to get perfect. Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that's probably a controversial issue regarding spiritual gifts. It says in chapter 12 that the Holy Spirit describes distributes the gifts as he dis- as he determines it's not up to us which gift we get most scholars say that you get the gift at salvation whatever spiritual gift or gifts you get you get at salvation uh, I haven't heard anybody say that you can get additional gifts later on well yeah that's possible Yeah, and that's one way to determine spiritual gifts too. You just kind of fall into it. You know, it's just yeah. something that something you think. And you realize, hey, I, yeah, I can do I that. Can <laughs> yeah. Good. Right. Right. So again, Paul's point here is that uh, all of the gifts will end when we get to heaven. Uh, so even though. Uh, the word here for cease is in the middle voice. It doesn't really have the middle voice emphasis because everybody uses the middle voice for that word. All the gifts end at the same time. Now, there is the issue of the fact that you don't see the gift of tongues and other things like healings and miracles exercised these days. I mean, 
you look around, you know, when's the last time you heard someone legitimately speak in a tongue, a foreign language? You don't see it. Does that mean that the gift is not legitimate for a day? Or does it simply mean that God isn't giving that gift as much today as in the past? I suppose it's, it depends on the need. But then you get into the idea, you know, gifts are given, they're perpetual. You don't lose the gift. If God gives somebody the gift of tongues, that's a lifetime assignment, okay? I think we discussed last time or the time before last, missionaries have gotten up to speak to a group of people and they didn't know the language, they started speaking and that language came out of their mouth. Is that the gift of tongues or is that a, an enablement for that moment? You know, because if it's the gift of tongues, then the person should have been able to do that <laughs> all along. Okay. Well, you don't use everything, every tool in your house all the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need one tool, sometimes you need another tool. You might not use a, a screwdriver for another six months. But. Well, that's true. In, in, in chapter 14, Paul says, you know, you, just because you have the gift of tongues doesn't mean you have to use it. <laughs> he, he tells them, you know, be careful. If you feel an urge to give a message in a foreign language, but you know that there's no one there to interpret, and keep your mouth shut, you know. The, 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 what does he say? The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. <laughs> it's, that's another problem with the charismatic, you know, that this is ecstatic, you know, they feel overwhelmed, you know, the spirit comes, and so they can't help it. They just burst out with this, these syllables, okay? <laughs> I don't want to call it a language or a tongue. But that's not the way Paul says it's supposed to be used. You know, you have control over it. It's not a sporadic thing. Uh, so we're finishing up this section, this principle on the uh, accommodation of revelation. We've seen um, the, um, the genres of literature. We've seen the literary devices and how to approach Scripture with those in mind. So next we need to get into the next principle, which is progressive revelation. Um, and we'll start on that next time. So any other comments or observations about any of this? I'll say that um, today one of the <coughs> defining characteristics that I see would be kind of the Pentecostal charismatic movement um, is this uh, fascination with new revelation. Yeah. A lot of people claim to receive new revelation. And one of the one quote I read, which I thought was, um, was was very accurate and very powerful, was that a lot of these folks are more fascinated with this idea of new revelation when they don't even understand what's already been revealed. It's like, why are you seeking new revelation when you don't even understand what has been already revealed as revelation in the scriptures? So there there is um, an issue with that. There there's there's um, kind of a sense that this doesn't fit you know, the spirit of uh, what God has called us to. Right. If you start going off in one area, <laughs> others are going to follow. <laughs> yeah. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes downhill. It's a natural 
natural tendency. Yeah, and when, when the when the apostle John mm -hmm. says test the spirits, yeah. by which method are you going to test the spirits? Mm -hmm. well, you're going to test the spirits by how what you understand from God's word. God's word will help you understand whether what you're hearing is truly coming from um, the spirit of God or, or from a false spirit. So, yeah. um, if you don't know the um, if you don't know revelation that's already been revealed, which is what happens with a lot of these folks, they don't understand revelation. They're just seeking new revelation. How are you going to evaluate new revelation if you don't even understand what's already been revealed as confirmed revelation? Right. Yeah. Moses, when he's talking about uh, prophets, you know, the prophet, the person who claims to be a prophet and says something that doesn't come true, he's not a prophet of God. And if he says something and it does come true, but it's not consistent with what God has already revealed, then he's not a prophet of God, because <laughs> God doesn't contradict himself. Isaiah said the same thing, to the testimony. <laughs> Check what they say with what's already been revealed. It's got to be consistent. And to the best of my knowledge, none of the, none of the, we've seen three waves of, of charismatic uh, of Pentecostalism, and um, no one, to the best of my knowledge, claims that a, that a prophet, that, that they're recognized prophets, get it right 100% of the time. Yeah. So what they would argue is that the prophets today are not quite like the prophets described by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, that there's not a level of perfection or a standard of perfection that's, that's expected from modern-day prophets. Mm -hmm which doesn't make sense. Why would God um, have a higher standard for prophets in the Old Testament and a lower standard um, today? Right. Well, I would say, why am I 75% of the time? Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> And then the gift of interpretation, they've done tests where they've taken someone speaking in tongues, and they'll play it for various different people who claim to have to give them interpretation. None of them have the same interpretation. Mm -hmm. And so that's a problem, too. And, and they'll explain that away, say, well, it means different things at different times to different people. And so what you have here is you have, you, you have chaos. You don't have order, which is one of the focuses of 1 Corinthians 12 14, that there's, mm -hmm. that there's order in all of this. And especially in chapter 14, Paul is really emphasizing that this has to be done in an orderly manner. There, there, has, to be, there has to be order and edification that comes with this. You know, if you have something that can be multiple, you know, interpreted in multiple different ways, then where's the application of that? You know, where's the where's the testing of the spirits in there? Mm -hmm. You don't have that. Right. Got to be consistent. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's close in prayer.